Hello and welcome to Talking Property with CBRE, a podcast in which our team of experts share their real estate insights. My name is Kate Heaney, Head of Client Care for Australia and New Zealand, and I'm your host for today's episode. Over the next little bit, we'll be talking about why the global pandemic will be a catalyst for more build-to-rent development in the future. I'm joined by Natasha Saka, Director in the Structured Transactions and Advisory Team, and Tamba Carlton, Research Manager in New Zealand. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Kate. First, let's get straight down to the questions. Let's talk about rental receipts. So why have multifamily tenants been paying their rent? Yeah, it's been interesting to see the impact of the pandemic on rental receipts. So residential tenants, they've just had a greater range of income support and government welfare schemes to keep them in their homes. Office rental receipts are 70% of what they were before the pandemic. Industrial, 56%. Retail, 49%. In public realm, understandably, most people being locked down at home, haven't been using car parks etc. So rental receipts only 24%. But in New Zealand, leading build-to-rent provider New Ground Living have seen 100% of rent collected to date. So you compare that to multifamily in the US. Rental payment rate has been 95% of the previous month, and they're a lot worse impacted than New Zealand. But overall, rental income for residential assets have been better. So Natasha, turning to you, you've got a lot of international experience in build-to-rent. So how did Built to Rent Multifamily perform during the GFC? Firstly, Kate, I, I want to make it clear to everyone, multifamily, Built to Rent are the same products and are used interchangeably. Multifamily is the US term and for whatever reason, Built to Rent is what the UK, Australia and New Zealand have adopted. In the US, multifamily was in fact the first sector to recover from the 2008 recession, and it then went on to achieve superior returns through both the recovery and expansion phases. The subprime crisis itself resulted in people defaulting on their mortgages, so they moved from ownership to renting because of course they had to still house themselves somewhere. Rental demand therefore went up, and thus multifamily recovered first. In a post-lockdown world, we really do think Bill Trent is worth watching closely and to see how it performs coming out of this market downturn. So it's obviously an emerging asset class in Australia and New Zealand, but back to that international experience of yours, how does this compare to the UK? As a starting point, Kate, I think we'll look to the US. So multifamily is a well-established sector in the US. We're talking 40 years old, now with 26% of institutional stock being classed as multifamily. The average total returns this asset class is getting is on par with the likes of hotels, industrial and retail. In the UK, relative to this US backdrop, Biltering is still a new sector. The UK have been exploring the concept for coming on a decade now, notably from the conversion of the Athletes' Village in London from the 2012 Olympics. It's really gained momentum only in the last five to seven years, in which time we've seen a considerable shift in the scale of these schemes, both under development and in the planning pipeline. Off the back of Brexit from 2016 and 2017 onwards, we saw build-to-sell conversions into rented product. This sort of conversion isn't quite to the scale of build-to-rent or what we mean in the definition of build-to-rent. They weren't purpose-built for rent, they weren't designed as such, and they didn't offer the level of amenities and services necessarily. 
We also saw build to rent gaining a lot of momentum and a stronghold in the regions. So the likes of Manchester and Birmingham, which offers a strong transient market that are more inclined to rent than buy. 2018 onwards, BTR became very prominent across the UK and much larger schemes. We saw a shift from the sort of 100, 150 unit towers up towards 500, 1,000 unit schemes, be it in a single phase or multi-phases. And that's when we really started to see the amenity, the service offer, the purpose built and the design that defines build to rent relative to the private rented sector. Moving forward, the pipeline in the UK has over 150,000 build to rent homes. Ironically, this has actually been driven off a lack of planning policy in the UK, which is another podcast in itself. Thanks, Natasha. We need to face the fact that we're in a COVID environment, don't we? But talk to me about, we're in COVID, how adaptable is the build to rent product? Build to rent, I think, is actually very well set up for this new normal we keep hearing about. Build to rent developments offer desirable work from home opportunities Many of these schemes have co-working space, libraries, lounges, all these sort of communal facilities foster the flexibility of working from home. So you're not necessarily stuck working from your dining room table. Faster broadband speed, that's, you know, very important now as we all work from home. These built-to-rent schemes have long factored this in and we're starting to also see that many people researching their new homes are looking at the quality of internet provisions and built-to-rent is well set up for this. And again, leading well into this also is the digitalization. This is becoming more and more prominent. We've seen from, you know, the apps in this time, the contact tracing. Built rent schemes often already have a large digital focus. We've seen resident apps, for instance. These offer the ability to communicate with the concierge team, the maintenance team, to communicate internally with other residents, share news and updates. So this digitalization is also pretty well enshrined in built rent schemes. And this has actually meant that in the lockdown phase, amenities and resident engagement moved pretty seamlessly into the virtual world. There were online fitness classes, online well-being and other perks that benefited from this digitalization that in turn, you know, improved the quality of life and living in these schemes. What a great product to, to meet the, uh, the challenges that we're all facing within the pandemic. But uh, I'm sitting here in Australia. You guys are sitting in New Zealand. How much build to rent is there in New Zealand? There are promising signs coming in and promising in the sense that these schemes that we're starting to see and the interest that we're seeing is of scale and factoring in more and more amenities and services, which is the shift we want to start seeing. Modal House, for instance, that was due to open but couldn't due to lockdown. And prospective tenants have actually been able to get a glimpse of the beautiful dark grey brick facade from the street. It does look so good. That's a classic Ockham move to put a beautiful brick facade on their developments. There's several hundred built-to-rent units that are existing in New Zealand, most of which are in Auckland suburbs. There's plenty in the South, in South Auckland, for example, Hobsonville and Whanuapai. But importantly, there's hundreds in the pipeline. As well as Modal House, there's 26 Araha, which is taking tenant applications from now. There's an Eden Terrace development, Henderson, Takapuna, and several in Wellington and Queenstown as well. Most of these are around about 30 to 50 units each. But behind these are some really significant developments in the planning and design phase, which is very exciting. 
So Tamba, you're mentioning obviously quite a lot of product, which is is incredibly encouraging for this emerging asset class. But let's think about the rental market. How will it actually perform in the short to medium term? I think that because of this pandemic, people will be staying in their rental properties for longer, particularly what would have been first-time buyers. So if you're a first-time buyer, your KiwiSaver balance is it's probably going to be a big part of your mortgage deposit. But with the pandemic, KiwiSaver balances took a bit of a nosedive. They've since recovered a lot of those losses. So hopefully people didn't lock in those losses. But at the same time, it's really caused a lot of uncertainty, especially with younger people being disproportionately affected by job losses. Countering this is the scrapping of the LVR rules. But just because the Reserve Bank isn't requiring you to have a high deposit when buying a home, it doesn't mean that the retail bank is comfortable with that. They're not going to give you a 98% loan-to-value loan unless they're certain that you can meet the repayments, that you're not a risky customer, and that you can comfortably service your mortgage. So overall, I think that people will be renting for longer. Tamba, to add to that, I think, you know, on the soft side as well, lockdown has really caused people to rethink their priorities and how satisfied they are with their living spaces. For me, I think in the medium term, people will be looking for a property that isn't just a crash pad, but more of a home. I think we're also going to see a greater supply in rental properties in the short term from previous Airbnb stock that is now vacant. And I think as the year progresses, unfortunately, as we see more job losses, people may be forced to downsize, to flat share, perhaps move in with relatives. So again, perhaps more vacant rental stock coming online, affecting that demand and supply. So I'm hearing quite a lot of positivity around the future and the potential of such a a strong asset class, uh, both internationally and for them now locally. But guys, there must be some challenges. What are those challenges for the build-to-rent industry? Tamba? I think that the first one, the one that developers most commonly cite to me as their reason for not being interested in build-to-rent is low yield. And the reason for that is it's true. Build-to-rent does have a low yield, lower than industrial and office assets. But that's when you look at yield through one lens, one that is not risk adjusted. And with this pandemic, it's really made an impact on how important it is to look at a yield through a risk adjusted lens. So build to rent is looking a lot better, comparable even. Another challenge for build to rent developers is construction costs. And that's because construction costs are really high. They're high for everyone. But new launches with the apartment pipeline are half of what they used to be. We've got a lot of apartments completing this year and those builders have built up capacity which won't be redeployed into new apartment projects as much. A lot of it will be redeployed into state housing. That pipeline has really increased and some into those shovel-ready infrastructure projects. But there is capacity there for build-to-rent. There's other issues around financing and valuation, aren't there, Natasha? Yeah, so financing is, of course, an issue. Uh, The banks are very much used to being repaid on completion of construction as those pre-sales settle. With build-to-rent, it's not a land play. It's a longer game. It's about generating income and the value that sits there. Of note, I think, is the $1 billion debt fund that we saw Qualitas launch in Australia in just February of this year. That $1 billion debt fund is targeted purely to -to build-to-rent. Another challenge, I think, for operators specifically is the need to be service-centric. 
There needs to be a shift from thinking of residents as tenants and more as customers and what their needs and desires are and providing that sort of amenity and service to them. I've learned an amazing amount through this whole podcast and I just want to turn to you both. Uh, A lot of history, a lot of information there, but what are your bold predictions for the year ahead? I think there will be some more developers who pivot from build to sell and to build to rent and CBRE is here to help those developers with demand studies, design, valuation services. Uh, My view is, of course, that build to rent is in fact one of the strongest and most reliable asset classes. It always has been. And I think therefore investors are going to start to see build to rent as a safe haven. I think, as Tamba said, we're going to see residential sales and pre-sales come under pressure. That, coupled with job and income uncertainty, leads to an, a less willingness to take on mortgage debt. As a result, I think we'll see further interest in build to rent as an investment class. I think the social shift to an increased focus on living and where people are living again leads to build to rent development and growth in the sector. Well, thank you both so very much for that incredible amount of information and insight into Builder Rent. So thanks for listening, everybody, to Talking Property with CBRE. If you like the show and want to check out more, please visit cbre.com.au slash talkingproperty. Until next time, 